This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and tonight I'm lucky enough to have talked Brian Pollock, Matt Scundrich, and Sean Tipping into coming back on so we can complain about being shop foreman. But before we get rolling too fast here, let's get a big thanks to our sponsor, Napa Autotech Training. Napa Autotech offers three-hour virtual technical classes that can be accessed from the comfort of your home. To find out what courses are available, go to NapaAutotech.com and click on the Napa Autotech class calendar link. Good talk, guys. Thanks for coming on. Shop formatting. I don't know. Matthew, Matthew's responsibilities now with his brother. I don't have any responsibilities. I got some kid that works for me, and he does pre- and post-scans in ADOS, and once in a while he calls me and he's like, hey, this connector won't go together you gave me. I mean, it won't go together. The shop gave me you mean it won't go together? It's only got three pins. You can't even screw this up. He's like, seriously, I can't get the latch to latch. And I'm like, looking at it, and he's sending me pictures. Zip tie. Happened to be yeah. talking to Brian Henry on the phone. So Brian Henry's on the phone. I'm sending him pictures because I'm like, I don't understand. Like, how can you not get the thing to go in the hole? And Brian's like, he's trying to put a male terminal in a connector that should have a female. Without missing a beat, I was like, hey, look in the other side. Is it a boy or a girl in the hardware? And he's like, what do you mean? The metal part in the thing. Is it in any, an Audi? And he's like, oh, it's, well, it's a piece it's, of hardware, so it's, it's an Audi. Yeah, and he's like, just... it's an Audi. And I'm like, you're putting two Audis together. Stop drinking your Bud Light and put the female part in the connector and it'll work. Here comes the hate mail. <laughs> and Brian Henry was on the phone. He's like, I cannot believe you used Bud Light and a bunch of random things as a reference to explain a connector to your brother over the phone. I'm like, it worked. Oh my god! My brother loves Bud Light, so I pick on him all the time. I and think to wait. deal with that, if that was like, if that was what I had to chase around, I could totally tell a guy that he's putting the wrong pins in a connector. That's okay. It's fine, except when you're driving a transit down the road, trying to look at pictures and go, "What? Huh?" Because he only sends you like these weird angled pictures, and you're like, "I think that should be a female connector." Yeah, everything's tougher when you're not in front of it, right? Yeah, like we have that's a couple of locations, so that's like. Guys will be sending me pictures and explaining to me what's going on. And it's like, okay, like you can't fix it in front of you, but I got to fix it over the phone. Hold on. Let's try to figure this out. I've been using a lot more TeamViewer lately. So that's been working pretty good. TeamViewer is fine if it's a scan tool issue. Like, hey, this isn't programming. I'm not sure what to do. Right. You can team in. Mm -hmm. But when he's like, hey, this calibration failed in this Hyundai. Matt is most of the newer scan tools have a camera on them. (laughs) And you can, you can turn the camera on and have them pointed at stuff. Yeah, but here's the problem, right? Like, so I'm like, hey, are, are you sure your target's at 4,000 millimeters away from the bumper? Yep. All right. Send me a picture showing it. Well, it ended up being something on this Hyundai where one measurement, and you'll see this in the factory tool. You don't have to. So. Yeah. So team viewing in on like programming's fine. Because you can see everything, right? Like, there's nothing really to see. But on a calibration, the problem becomes, did they get the measurements right? And you don't know. You can ask them, like, hey, is the target 4,000, I don't know, whatever it was. I just use a Honda because I do so many of them. Hey, is it 4,000 millimeters from the center of the wheel? And he's like, yep, yep. Oh, the target's out of this height. Yep, yep, yep. Because it was a windshield that was failing. And I'll admit, this Hyundai, it wasn't a Honda. It was a Genesis, actually. GV70, 23. And it had an aftermarket windshield in it. And so I was like, maybe it's the windshield. But I just thought it was really weird that it was failing almost instant. It was failing and saying it couldn't see the target. And I'm like, mm, there's something wrong. And so I went down and I realized that 
there was two sets of units on the scanner. Like one was centimeters and one was millimeters. And I was like, oh, hey, you should have that 70 centimeters from the car, not 70 millimeters. And so it was like, oh, well, oh, crap. You see the light bulb go off on his face. And I'm like, dude, that's why I tell you like all the time, like if something fails, move all the stuff in the corner, pack it up. You don't have to put the tape measure away and all that, but move it all out of the way. Completely move it. Take all the tape off the floor, take the car, drive it around the lot once and pull it back in and start over and reread from the beginning because you might pick up something like that the second time because Mm -hmm. when it fails, I find out most people and I do the same thing. That's why I I just assume most people because I do this. You skim through reading it like, oh, yep, I did that. Oh, yep, I did that. Oh, yep, I did that. And you're trying to find your mistake where Mm -hmm. if you start over, you're forced to follow the flow of diagnostics essentially again. Absolutely. And you'll find something stupid. Oh, that one says millimeters. That one says centimeters. Why would Hyundai do this? Why would Hyundai do this to us? I call it Hyundai, even though it's a Genesis because it's. It's the same thing with diagnosis over the phone when you're trying to assist somebody. And I'm sure people who do tech line stuff have a way better perspective, but I'm trying to help my guy. And like we made a bad call on something. He was using one of those Unity amp clamps. And Mm -hmm. I asked him, I was like, hey, would you measure for amperage on this circuit? Oh, it's zero. And we went through the test. I was like, okay, well, it's this made a bad call. He had no idea that you had to click the thing to get from AC to DC, even for the amperage on the thing. And I know there's a way you can change the EEPROM, but I'm not going to spend my time on that. So call because it said zero because it was on AC amperage. That over the phone is really tough for me to tell that that's what the issue is. Like if it's in my hand, it's a different story, but that can be tough trying to assist that. Yeah, that's the hardest part with remote locations is like, it's something that's eluded your average technician while it's in front of their face and now you've got a phone call and they're like, why isn't this working? We put this part in, why is it still broken? It's like, I don't know. Yeah. Look the scan tool up, give me your team viewer. And sometimes if you're using an Autel scan tool, it has a camera. You're like, all right, aim the camera at this. And a lot of times it turns into me getting my truck and driving 27 minutes to the other shop to just handle it. Yeah, know. but the other thing that takes away from your time is a, as somebody overseeing other people is he'll call when he's not 100% sure even though it's very obvious, the most recent one was Honda has two different blind spots and you can put the wrong one in it and it'll say like wrong blind spot installed cart, but it sets it for mm-hmm. both, right? Wrong like hardware right or past. Yeah. yeah, it's got like some weird code. And if you look it up in service information, it clearly tells you like put correct blind spot in there. Well, it's so a Honda, it so it's always going to tell you replace with no one. Yeah. <laughs> no That's good. every flow chart they have. Yeah. So he calls me and he's like, hey... I looked this up in Honda Tech Info and it says like they put the wrong blind spot in it, but like this is a Honda dealer owned body shop. How did they get the wrong one? And I'm like, oh, it happens. There's two part numbers in there. And if you don't look at the other one, you'll get the wrong one. Like I've seen this before. And he's like, oh, so it is the wrong part. I'm like, well, that's what the code tells you, right? Well, yeah, but I, w- I just want to make sure because it just seems really weird. You get those moments where it's just like, okay, he just wants some reassurance. And I don't even blame him because I'm like, there's people I call all day long. I used to call Fanslow, but he never answers his phone. So now we don't call Fanslow anymore. Oh, whatever. <laughs> Probably saw your name and got nervous and dropped my phone. And then like the internet, by the, <laughs> by the time I scrambled to pick it up, you were like on to the next. Yeah. I, I think that as time goes on, I've noticed in the past 13 years in the role that I've been in, it's consumed a lot more time. I used to be able to just pretty much bang through my work and have to assist someone like maybe three or four times a day. 
And that was like assistance. Now it's like three or four entire cars a day and who knows how many questions. It can be a little overwhelming at times, especially when you've got many, your own stuff you're trying to get done and it's, it, it gets a little crazy sometimes. How many people are you overseeing or assisting? Uh, about 18. Okay. Wow. In three shop. I can't even oversee myself. <laughs> Me too. I'm telling you. I mean, I think Brian could oversee Matt. He's probably got him by a couple inches, I think. And probably a lot of what I do is bailing people out. Like when somebody's in over their head or there was something that was over promised and it's got to get done. Just like the other day, I had to do a gear case cover in a 05 Cummins, not even at the shop that I work at. I had to throw stuff in a Milwaukee pack out and go pull a camshaft out of a diesel truck in another shop. And it's like, how am I supposed to take calls that day? I'm going to be there for eight hours on a 15 hour job that I got to get done that day. Like, how am I going to take a bunch of phone calls and do a bunch of babysitting? Bluetooth is your friend. It is. You know, I thought about that. My phone was just really greasy afterwards. That's all. But, you know, yeah, I can't. I could have a Bluetooth. It wouldn't help me because I can't. You can't walk and chew gum at the same time? Barely. But I can't be focused on what I'm doing and focused on what they're talking about or asking about and then thinking about what they need while doing what I need to be doing. I can't. So I guess really tough. Yeah. Really? I I don't know. I'm going to throw them out here again. But Brian Henry and I probably talk four hours a day, I bet, on the phone. And we just knock out cars all day together. I'm like, oh, what are you doing? What are you talking Because I'll be like, oh. And he's like, oh, I'm working on this. I'm like, oh, did you check this, this, and this? And he's like, oh, yeah. I mean, for me, it depends what I'm doing. Mechanical. If I'm doing mechanical work like that job, like I can talk the whole time I'm doing it. But if I have to like figure out why something's broke and it's not just a simple fast, take a test light, load the circuit or whatever, chances are I'm probably not interested in taking a call at that time. You know what I mean? I mean, I Mm -hmm. I get people upset at me because they think I'm ignoring them. It's not like I've just... Like saying I tuned out or ignore is like there's a conscious effort to just shut you out. And it's not. I'm focused on whatever I'm doing. Mm -hmm. You don't exist anymore. Like Uh you're you're just not even there. I don't know you're there. You you have to do something to get my attention. That's what I'm striving for. Maybe you can give me lessons in that. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's like a repercussion of ADD. Yeah. Yeah. I I just want to, some days I just want to be in the corner and be on my thing that I need to do. Like even door dingers. I can be working on a car, the dinger's going, I don't really hear it. Yeah, I I don't notice the dinger ever anymore. Somebody's like, oh, that's so annoying. Can't you close the door? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, ding, ding. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll close the door. <laughs> but yeah, I'll catch heat about it. It's just like, hey, I'm trying to talk to you. Are you mad? Yeah, right. <laughs> what, right. <laughs> what are you talking about? You, you when were you trying to talk to me? my bay all day. <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh, I think a lot of people don't understand too in that position what's what's involved, what's going through your head. You know, you're focused on what you're doing. You're focused on the parts of a job that you know somebody could end up making an error that you gave to them. So you're kind of keeping an eye on that. Yeah, somebody asking you about what's going on with this truck, what do we gotta do? You know, there's there's a lot of questions incoming. And I could definitely see that if you're working on something complicated, you're just zeroed in on it. And people think that you're just plainly, plain old ignoring them. You know what I mean? I could definitely. I think the subject came up kind of with a few posts in various management type of social media groups about shop foreman position, what should be expected out of them, not just 
responsibilities wise, but also like production. And you had kind of a spectrum of people who are still talking about billing whatever, 40 hours a week, and they're the shop foreman. And then you got others where once they took on the shop foreman role, their hours dropped almost in half. The shop performance went up, their performance dropped, but it was viewed as they were failing. At least the nature of what got us going about yeah. recording this I don't was, think it's realistic to expect a guy to continue to turn 40 and 50 hours a week while overseeing a group of other people. I do it, and it's pretty much got me burnt out. So I'm not saying it can't be done. It, I can pull the reports. It absolutely can be done. But at the end of the day, it's freaking exhausting. I think you have to have a different way to a different metric to assess that role. Absolutely. As opposed to just attack. And especially if you've defined the role as an owner, like, hey, Brian, this is what I expect of you in the day to day. Our goal is overall you know, shop accuracy and efficiency, and you're a key part of that. There's got to be a way for that person to measure that one way or another. And then that's how your base, your performance is evaluated, like just flat rate hours. At that point, doesn't make any sense. No, because, no. I mean, you guys can tell me, but my idea of a shop foreman is to support all of the technicians in the shop and make sure that they have everything they need and they're overcoming obstacles and you're playing interference as much as possible. Yeah, run and block. And yeah, yep. absolutely. Yeah, I agree. That That's what I would have equated with it is you're basically direct technician support. Mm-hmm. The, the back of house. Yeah. And if you have a car to mess with, you know, there's, I don't want to say like, expe- not much for expectations on it, but it's some of the time, time constraint, the right word, or time, I guess time expectations mm-hmm. are pretty lax. If you kind of have one, a couple cars and they're probably as a shop foreman, you're probably going to be doing the diag. I'm mm-hmm. guessing at least the overwhelming amount of them, yeah. uh, shop foreman's I, are more of the diag type. I think tax. that's a mistake. So do I, I don't even though I do it. I, I because, think that this same. many years in, I'd be a lot further ahead and have a lot less headaches if I would have taken two minutes instead of just handling all the cars to, you know, make sure that we educate these guys correctly on how to handle that situation. Because all that happens is you end up doing every single die that comes in the door forever. And like when they put timing chain jobs back together, you and the thing doesn't run right. They look at it for three minutes and oh, Brian, I'll take care of it. Boop, gets kicked to Brian. Oh, we put this together. The slide's still on. Brian, I'll take care of it. You get, you know, you get, get in a zone where the guys aren't even reading service info to see what resets are required after a job. And you get a work order handed to you that's got resets with a, you know, a circle next to it that you got to check when you're done doing the resets that they should have done after they did the job. You know what I mean? So that's an error from my experience. I can tell you is just handling every single thing. You create a bunch of guys that just change parts. And uh, that's okay if you're overseeing like three or four guys probably. But you get up into the teens and that's that's a lot to deal with because it's every car now, right? Like we're not working on old four Grand Ams anymore. It's every car needs some sort of follow-up procedure. You can't freaking put a battery in something without registering it. And you end up in a position where you're just... Well, you can. Lots of shops do. Well, yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, uh, what is service information? 
what is it? Yeah. I mean, what are we doing? The, yeah. Usually they respond with a Google. Yeah. yeah. I, so prime example of something I just find is weird is I have a, sh- I have a transmission shop that calls me and they're like, Hey, we're putting this transmission in this Ford. Does it, does it need a sticker or programming? They'll call. And I'm like, uh, I'll have to look <laughs> it up. I'm like, what like, you know, in right? it? You know. Yeah, like what trainee's in it? And they're like, oh, it's a 6R80. I just know like, all this stuff. Okay, that doesn't help me. I meant what trainee, like what vehicle is this trainee going in? Because that's how I'm going to look it up. I can't look up a 6R80. Oh, you can't I need a year make model. And then I might ask you what trainee's going in it. Because, you know, like a 2010 F-150 can have two different versions. But I'm just like, don't you don't you have all data? Why didn't you look it up? Oh, we're not sure how to look it up. Would you like me to give you a lesson on how to use all data? Like, I will come bring in a projector, a screen, and we will go through a thousand cars and how to look up transmission service information it's, for you guys. It's kind of ridiculous now, too, because all the major service information providers have a search bar now. Pretty mm-hmm. decent one, too. Dude, the, it, yeah. okay. I'll tell you what. All, Wait. All data uh, works really good, and Mitchell's works really good. Like, if, yeah. if they have the information, you'll find it by typing half of the words you're looking for into the search bar. Well, here's, here's mm-hmm. the example of today. It was a 2010 F-150 6R80 trans. Mm-hmm. If you go into transmission, hit replace, scroll all the way down, or go to install, mission, yep. install, scroll mm-hmm. all the way down the bottom. It says C programming tab. That's all it tells you. C programming tab. You go to programming tab, it's like perform PMI. It doesn't tell you you need the sticker, nothing. And I'm like, well, that's shitty. But No, but you're right, because it should say like solenoid valid yeah. or the... Mm-hmm. ID because well, it's 2010 has a TCM in the trans, so that's probably why. Yeah, and so it's just it's nuts. Like, yeah, I think for the most part, a lot of it's there, but there are some common applications where it's not right. Like, try to look up, try to go on All Data or Mitchell and look up a wiring diagram for a 2011 Chevy 1500. Right, they made a couple of those. Right, 2011 1500 Chevys, just a couple with a six-speed transmission. Try to look up that wiring diagram. Good luck. Every single one is a wiring diagram for 4L60. If you don't have OE service info, you have to go to Identifix and scroll manually through the OE diagrams to get the diagram you need. I can see where it happens sometimes, but for the most part, I'm correcting something by reading the same service info they have access to. We're not cheap on service info. We have all data, Identifix, Mitchell, Ford OE, and Chrysler OE service. I mean... It's, they have access to all of it. It's, it's not like I have all the passwords and I'm the gatekeeper. Like I actually on their, on their Chromebooks, I, I put icons on the desktop. They don't even have to like know the website. Just have to click the icon, the one that they need. Don't you think that's kind of why the Diag techs or the techs that are more skilled at diagnostics are the ones that end up usually more the shop foreman type? Because even if you've never officially appointed it early on, you start gravitating or maybe not you yourself gravitating to it, but you start kind of assuming that role naturally because everyone starts coming to you because to be good at diagnostics, typically you've got to be fairly good at data mining. And because of that, that's why they start coming to you is because maybe they start out like, Hey, I can't find the torque specs for the cylinder head. And then you quick go over to no right. data and zip through yeah. and okay, here they are. Hey man, thanks. And the way they go and nobody thinks anything else of it and, eventually it becomes more and more common because yeah, you're, the, I'd say, you're the tech, I'd you're say the one in the shop tech. that does it. 
I'd say that's pretty fair. Even when it comes down to looking up parts and labor, when the front end can't find it, who are they coming to? Every time. You know, if I, I looked at an 18 CRV today and I knew, I knew by the AC line it needed, I was going to have questions. So I just went on repair link and got the part number. I, I didn't even set it up front without the part number because I knew how that was going to go. Somebody was going to come back. Where's this AC line? I can't find it. How do you look it up? Sometimes it's easier just to do it. And like I said, if you keep doing it for everybody all the time, you create the situation I'm in where it's just like somebody does a timing chain on a Volkswagen. It runs rough afterwards. They didn't even go through it long enough to see the PCV fresh air tube that they left off. You know what I mean? Like they're getting to the point where the mm-hmm. visual inspection is not even happening. So, What's the solution to that? Is it just letting them flounder and figure it out on their I'm own? I'm going to go work for and Matt and code scan cars at the <laughs> Ford dealership body shop. Yes. 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 I need somebody at my Ford dealer. That'd be great. No, no. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, you're good. But is it like, do you take the short-term hit and shot productivity and let them struggle and figure it out? Or this would be me in the moment. My mindset is I want everything to get out of here right and efficiently. Yeah. I'm just going to just gonna tell them what they need to do. And what's, what's the solution look like? So, yeah, that's, and that is the tricky part because when your shop grows to, you know, when you have a single location that's doing 30 cars a day, it gets to a point where it's like, okay, well, I don't, if you're doing 30 cars a day in a five or six bay shop, I mean, your people are moving. You know what I mean? Nobody's, nobody's slacking off. It's not a mm-hmm. super relaxed environment. You know what I'm saying? That's what happens when you keep doing that and then you get bigger and bigger and bigger. And next thing you know, there's a hundred cars on the lot. It turns into this thing. It's like, well, I'd love to take some time and teach these guys, but when am I going to do it? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it was more doable when I was working 11 or 12 hours a day, but my wife is back to work. So I'm here until the babysitter gets here in the morning. So I'm only working eight. Eight and a half hours a day now. <laughs> Slack. I know. Oh my god! Yeah, like a quarter of the <laughs> day. Nine nine to the rest yeah. of the day. About nine to five thirty or six. There goes that. Yeah. There goes that. Time. Yeah. Shop slacker. I guess what I would say at small volume, that's a small problem, and that small problem is not easily overcomable, but it's easier to overcome when you're a big shop. When then, when you're a big shop doing big volume, then it becomes very difficult to overcome. I think perfect world, you're going to have techs that if they're, and maybe this has a little bit to do with specialization, whether it's a car line specialist or limited car line specialist, or they're kind of specialized in certain systems or area of repair that Mm -hmm. they would learn to take on that um, task of data mining, finding the information, figuring it out up to a point, right? right? And then maybe... Once in a while, yeah, you got to, hey, Brian, man, can you, can you come look at this? You know, hey, Matt Scundrich, can you come swing by and take a look at this? Some, something like that. I don't know that we kind of what, like, kind of like something Keith Perkins and I had talked about that we may not have the right personnel in the profession to support that people. We might have to have Brian Pollock's in shops. We might have to have, try to hire Sean Tippings away from their businesses so they can come be shop foremans. To kind of do that so that we can have the the techs, you know, take it apart, put it back together because we need them. You know, I don't I don't want to sound dismissive or devaluing of that at all because that's, no, that's, its own skill what, that's what earns the money. Yeah. But yeah, one of the, you might need somebody. One of the best field you know, mechanics you, I've ever met can't read. If your international uh, combine breaks down in the middle of the field and you need a full overhaul done in a field and you need it done in two days, 
by far the only guy that's going to get it done. Can't read, but he'll have it up and running. It's its own mechanical is its own beast. Yeah. yeah. Just think that whether we want to or not, that's starting to going to start kind of being the shop model. And even if you don't have like the shop foreman, especially more on the diagnostic type stuff mm-hmm. or the stuff that after repair starts going sideways, they have the database diagnostic tools. They have the subscriptions. Right. That's taking the spot of somebody looking up info and sorting through a problem. They just go play the probability game and hope that somebody's made the same mistake. Right. Yeah. Good point. It, Great point. It's work. I think it works. I think it's a horrible long-term model. Yeah, I think. But it works. I think it's probably, if I had to put a number on it, I think it's probably 70% accurate. And I think that that number is probably skewed a little bit low for me because we end up with a lot of the cars where shops already use that method. So it might even be better than 70%. Oh, I'm telling you, I have fixed some cars that shops couldn't fix with Identifix. And it was like, hey, I got this random code. Oh, did you check the right kick panel? There's a spot that the wire will rub. And it causes this code. I'm like, there's no way. No way. Pull the kick panel. Sure enough, wire harness is like rubbed right it's there. A great, it's a great tool to use to begin testing. If you're looking at something and you're not familiar with the system and there's five-minute mm-hmm. testing move that's got 200 hits, you bet that I am not yeah. reading a single thing. If I can do that, if I can get whatever apart and do that test in five minutes or less, that's, I'm doing that first. It's that low-hanging fruit. Yep. Got to go for it. I have to. I got like 13 cars a day to get through. There's yeah. sometimes you're judged in how you play the game, but when you got 13 cars doing eight hours, you, you got to either win or lose, right? And hopefully win. I just think sometimes they forget when it fails and, and qualify it. Just kind of qualify it where they go to identify, you know, the car comes in, it's got a whatever com- complaint, light on, symptoms, whatever. And okay, you know, you're tasked with diagnosing this. Okay, run it in. Copy paste the VIN into it. Boom. Type in the symptom. Mm-hmm. Boom. Top hit. Whether you do testing or not, we could argue with the right and the wrong way. And I think everybody agrees like the quote unquote, the right way would be to do the the test. But a lot of people are kind of like, wow, you know, 78 hits it's a for this. And I think, yeah, I think <laughs> we're just going to go order the part. <laughs> and they order it and they bolt it on and it works. And it's like they're a freaking silverback just chest thumps like <laughs> we are i am a really good diagnostician and it's like you didn't do anything anyone else without or yeah. sorry you didn't do anything else anyone with that subscription couldn't have done mm-hmm. like you're not special you didn't do anything and it's like forgettable well a lot of guys won't even type into the and, search bar so they are a teeny bit <laughs> that's the thing that's the thing yeah. that's, what, that's the reality of it For 98 years, the Napa name has meant quality parts and service. It also reflects top quality training programs to help you build a more successful vehicle repair business. No doubt, the technician shortage is impacting everyone, but you're not facing this battle alone. Napa has the solution by making Napa AutoTech training available near you. Napa AutoTech provides automotive aftermarket technicians career development opportunities through structured, disciplined, measured, and high-quality technical instruction, no matter the technician or service advisor's skill level. This instruction enhances understanding of vehicle systems, increases first-time repair capability, and overall customer satisfaction. It also prepares technicians to become ASE certified. It's a fact technicians who receive training to improve their knowledge and skills have a higher sense of job satisfaction. This reduces technician turnover and increases productivity, directly improving a shop's profitability. 
It is vital to the success of a shop's business that today's technicians are equipped to diagnose and repair today's complex vehicles. With our ever-changing technology, the technician's knowledge and skills need to be updated and refreshed on a regular basis. As you labor over the decision of whether to send your techs to get their skills sharpened, keep in mind, Napa Auto Tech Training is an investment, not an expense, and it's available to all. Much of Napa Auto Tech's training is offered in more than one format to accommodate varieties of learning styles and training preferences so each person can maximize their learning. Whether you're more of a hands-on person or enjoy learning at your own pace, Napa Auto Tech is here to provide you with the training you need in the format that works best for you. To learn more about what Napa Auto Tech offers, contact NapaAutoTech.com. But one of the big problems with being a shop foreman is, I think... When I was at Chrysler, we had an A team and a B team. I want to say it was 10 techs on each team, and I was the odd man out when I got there. I was like the 21st tech. I was the odd number tech, right? You were the C team. Yeah. And no, actually, I got labeled as the E team, and I was like, E, oh, geez, that sounds bad. And they're like, yeah, hey, you, you should be really good at electrical, and everybody else sucks at it. <laughs> we're just going to give you all the electrical diags, but you're not going to take anything apart. What do you mean I'm not going to take anything apart? They're like, oh, if you need that seat out, you go over and you tell team A's, manager, shop foreman, whatever you want to call him, right? The team lead. Hey, I need this seat out. And he'll have a guy pull that seat out. You were doing mobile before you were doing mobile. I'm telling you, that was the best freaking (laughs) job I ever had until we got the Viper with a lightning strike. And I was like, this is the straw that's breaking the camel's back. This sucks. But I I won't lie, though. That's kind of what I got going on. Yeah. But here was the problem. Nobody learned electrical. Me me too, In the eight eight months I was there. Not really. You know what it became? Oh. Matt will take it, Matt will take it, Matt will take it, Matt will take it. No, Matt doesn't want to sit here and put 400 freaking relays in for AC compressors not working because there was a bad batch of relays. Like, And it became who could write the better story, me or the tech. Well, because I had done 27 relays, I had the connector numbers memorized. Check for power at connector 237. Found no power. Move back to connector, blah, 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 blah. And so I'd write this really long story and get paid an hour and a half on it. And it took five minutes. And that's when I realized that there is a skill to reading and writing that in this field, you either learn it or you just mm-hmm. become very damn good at mechanical. And I was never good at mechanical. By, by, by being good at mechanical, I mean you're fast. You can beat book time without a doubt. Like if you handed me a 15 hours Cummins job and told me to reseal it, I'd be like, yeah, the guy's picking it up on Friday because it's Monday and that's how long this is going to take. <laughs> Stop it. I think I'm along those lines. It's not even that bad of a job. You'd be fine. 50% efficient is perfect for me. 50%? 50. Yeah. Well, two two days would have been spent just whining about it. (laughs) Damn. No. Oh, God. That bolt won't come loose. uh, And it's rusty. So the guy that was doing the job, um, he took the fan shroud off at 4 p.m. on Tuesday and then had an emergency... Uh, where he found out he wasn't going to be able to come in Wednesday because he was going to a Snoop Dogg concert all of a sudden. <laughs> True story. Emergency. Emergency Snoop Dogg concert. Um, and I love the this truck guy. Was He's promised. my hero. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, and and it, was, it was promised for Thursday, which I didn't understand because if you took it apart Tuesday at 4 o'clock, and it's 15 hours, and you can do basic math, and we're only open until 6, and they don't start till 8 at that place. Uh, that doesn't make sense. So anyhow, and I, I just, I'm sure there's a 420 something. Yeah. Going yeah. Maybe he started it at 420. Maybe that was the problem. <laughs> I ain't talk catalytic converter efficiency. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> so anyways, 
you know, I just remember climbing up. It was a total bro dozer, right? It had 37 inch tires on it, six inch lift <laughs> and, in, a, in a bumper, a bumper with a worn winch that weighed way more than I did. So pulling the bumper wasn't an option, right? So I climb up and down this thing for eight hours and I'm, I'm pushing about three, seven. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, stop. If the bumper and winch weighed more than you did, how was it even lifted? That's what I said. I mean, that suspension had to be unbelievable. I'm telling strong. you, it had That's this, all it had this iron cross bumper with a cow catcher on it. It was, it was a horrible job. And, uh, Jim had texted me. He's like, you think you're going to get that done today? I said, I think if I was 22 years old and somebody told me to pull the camshaft out of this truck, I'd have been going to a Snoop Dogg concert too. <laughs> like, I just, he started it at 420 and realized Snoop Dogg liked weed and it just clicked and he was gone. Yeah, baby. He I was know, gone. Man. I mean, he went, he went to the Snoop Dogg concert. He must have had that up his sleeve in case that job was going to be too much. How old is Snoop Dogg now? He's got to be like his mid-60s. His concerts are way... Not too old to drop a big old elbow on The Miz. What? Oh. Did you just jump to wrestling? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Nobody watches it. It's fake. Some Somebody out there will watch it. Somebody will, somebody will know that one. You say bro dozer and they emerge it. The first thing that pops in my head is like something from Derek Comedy. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we call it right bro dozers and we got wheels and big tires and bumper and i call bro them, I awesome. them street street queens <laughs> street queens <laughs> yeah because they never go off road here like we don't even have salt or snow so these guys have these like six foot lifted f-250s with their deletes and they've got these you know 22 inch chrome razors and they've got all this chrome and powder coated bs underneath it and i'm like yeah where are you going in the mall with that? There's not even a snow mountain why to climb over. Why can't they just admit they're doing no off-roading whatsoever? It's not off-road capable. Next time I see one, I'm taking you a picture of the tires. The tires are like two inches thick, right? But they're like 44 inches tall. And it's just like, you're not going anywhere in that thing. I keep my stock height and everything because I don't want to be profiled. <laughs> I'm dying to get a like high-performance car or truck because I've been working in this industry. I figured it out today for 16 years. And... As a profession, 16 years. And I just really, really, really want like a cool car or something. Because we You're work having on a all the time. crisis, Matthew. I am. I want something fun. <laughs> you like, Mazda Miata. <laughs> yeah, with an LS9 in it. Oh my gosh. You're ridiculous. I don't know. I think that stuff is kind of tough after a while, you know, when you have to button this up for a guy or button that up for a guy. Or it's like, come on, man. The service information's there. It's all nuts and bolts. Just like, like make it happen. And, I think that's a spot where I've been talking to some people and I think my next training class I take will not be technical training. It'll be with maybe how to be a better leader in that aspect. So we don't have to. I came up with an idea for a shop manager today. He's going to buy the Indiana Jones hat and a whip. And anytime somebody's not working, just crack that whip like Indiana Jones does because people will get working. The beatings will continue until morale approves. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was my thought. Thanks. The shop didn't do so well at the body shop this month. And he's like, see, where the last manager was kind of a micromanager. You really got to crack the whip around here. I'm like, if you show up in an Indiana Jones costume on the oh first gosh. day of, the, of August, I'm like, dude, I'll be totally impressed. Body you shop crack people are whip. a different breed. I don't think that would work for auto repair. I don't think whipping guys would work. I try to be nice. Light. I try to be nice even when I shouldn't. I'm just like, oh, well, yeah, you know, stuff happens. And I'm all for mistakes, but there's a difference between mistakes, competency, and just a lack of effort. There's a difference between an honest mistake and negligence. 
Yeah. Like all my mistakes. Hey man, hit mistakes. this thing with some penetrating oil, work it back and forth before you try to take it apart. And then you see him go at it dry with no heat and an impact gun and be surprised and snap <laughs> off. Like, bro, I told you what was going to happen if you did that. Yeah. Using a half inch impact to take six millimeter bolts off. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I can't believe it broke. I can't yeah. believe I tried to take this freaking salt belt car apart with an impact gun and no torch and everything's all effed. Like, oh. What's a torch? There's just no warning. I thought it would hammer probably, a little bit. Probably down Florida, boy. He doesn't want to torches. <laughs> I, I don't even know what a torch is. I visited a shop in Texas, and they had torch bottles with the caps still on, and the torch box like had dust on it with the torches still in it. <laughs> I, I, I know I've told the story, but when I was in Kansas, there was a shop that got a Wisconsin like Lincoln in, and they were trying to do the fuel pump and the fuel filter, and they couldn't get it broke loose. So I ask them for a torch and they carry over that little portable. <laughs> like my grandpa used to keep it all back of gas or maybe three car. pounds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I fire that thing up and I start heating up around the fuel filter and that shop empty. I'd say they ran for the hills, but there's no hills in oh Southwest gosh. Kansas. So they ran outside and were waiting for that place to go up like something at the end of Terminator. Yeah, that's you know, awesome. Just when, I'll tell you, those inductive heaters, I didn't get to use one until like the very end of my full-time tech career, but man, that yeah. is where it's at they for specific things. They actually work pretty darn good. And for, I was like, for stuff where you don't want the flame, yeah. it's phenomenal. I was like, there's I'm no way this thing's going to replace my gas axe, and it's like, that's great. <laughs> you know what else I use a lot now, too? We have one in the shop for that type of work is a, a plasma cutter. Like sometimes yeah, like- I, you know, We have one in- Yep. Dude, like you can you can get in there, like you can get in and get I'll some... one up your plasma. TIG welders are where it's at for that. Well, you can't cut stuff out with a TIG welder. You don't cut it out. So because the TIG you can control the arc so well with the varying amperage. I learned this at a mechanic shop the other day. The guy had an old rusty truck from New York. He's like, I'll show you to get these bolts out. He goes over, gets his TIG torch. He has it set on a pedal. He hit the pedal and started the arc and slowly hit the pedal. And the whole bolt just got red. He turned the pedal off and then took his thing and took it out. He's like, it's better than an inductive heater because I can heat it as much as I want. Yeah. I'm like, what? Most of our stuff was so damaged it needs to be cut out. Yeah. Well, he was trying to save this classic car. He was oh, taking, yeah. taking, keeping all the bolts up one at yeah. a time. We, our stuff is... It was cool to watch. Stuff where it can't be stuck if it's liquid. You know what I mean? We had a bl- plasma cutter about the time we stopped needing a torch and anything for exhaust. But when we had it for what little times we used it for that. Oh my God. I mean, it was so great. Oh my God. You can split nuts with it. You can cut yeah. like suspension parts. If a bolt runs through a bushing, you can slice the bushing. You're the, the sleeve in there and get it read out. Oh my gosh. What a nice piece of equipment. You can buy plasma cutters pretty cheap on Amazon now. Really? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you want the- Plasma spelled wrong, but Pla- yeah. I'm telling you, there's Wish they sell us plasma. Wish shot they sell us 16 the size of my can of coke. <laughs> they <laughs> Wish they are small. Cutter comes with a box. They are matches. small. They use an inverter technology now, mm-hmm. so they don't have to be as big as they used to be. But I have a 16 amp one. It cuts half inch plate steel. What? Yep. Half inch. And I guarantee you, it's no bigger. Like length and width wise, it's probably no bigger than my Deltoff book. It's like. Tw- 10 it's maybe a foot tall is that like the, the new mig welders are like that aren't they yeah my Pulse, my, Pulse my tig welder is real small too i was kind of impressed oh i need something like that china makes great stuff when they make it like once china they figure it out stuff. 
Yeah, like once they figure out how to steal Miller and Lincoln's like design, it's fantastic. They've got it down and stolen. I mean, hell, they probably take the inverter right off the same line. It just, hey, this, this yeah, I think clear a lot of coat didn't are, appear yeah. is right. So let's just put it in our China brand. I think the uh, a lot of the parts are made in the same places nowadays. Yeah. That's for sure. Seems like. You guys are all going to go look up that's, plasma. That's where some of my them. scan, that's what some of the people I bought some scan tool interfaces said. All the parts are made in the same place. Yeah. Interface came off the same line as legit ones. What? Yeah. I'm just kidding. I just made that oh, up. I thought you were being serious. <laughs> no. I was like, that's awesome. I haven't had a clone scan tool for, wow. I think I have a clone Honda 8 him. It's the last. If I had to get a new Tech 2, I might try one. You can't buy a Tech 2. That's why I have one. I guess the Mine clones stolen. work perfect, though. I guess that's what guys say. Yeah, they do. Just don't drop them. <laughs> and if you open one up, it's never going back together because there's like literal bubble gum and duct tape in there holding wires on <laughs> and their legs cut off chips because they didn't want to spend more to like make the joint in the PCB board. So they just like cut the legs off the chips and solder wires onto it and like loop it around and back. And you're like, <laughs> I have an actual tech two in my candy modules acting up. Like I have to like unplug it and plug it in a million times. And yeah. I've thought about buying a candy module. What's that? I, to this day, I'm like, if it's a canned car, it's getting an MDI or an MDI too, because at this point they all program. Well, for unless it's a sob or something. For Diag, Yeah. Okay. Like I don't have tech to win either. So for Diag, I got to get into something like a. You need tech to win. You'll never go back. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of like my tech too. It's a nice paperweight. I don't know. I use the crap out of it. I know, I know a guy that the software comes off the same line as the other real stuff. Really? Not <laughs> <laughs> plus a gun. That's a gun. The other thing I think a shop foreman should do is keep track of, speaking of tools, is keep track of the specialty shop tools, right? Like that guy should, hey, oh, you're doing timing chain on this Ford. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll get you that set. Like I hate to add a job onto that guy, but it's the only way that you can make sure the tools don't get sh- stolen in the shop. When I was at the Chrysler dealer, it was the parts department that did it because it was a big shop. So you'd go over and be like, hey, I need tool one, two, three, four, right. X, Y, Z. Yeah. And he would open up the case in front of you and say, okay, all the pieces are here. Sign this piece of paper saying all the pieces are here. Cool. Or he'd be like, oh, there's two pieces it's missing. like when I put my broken. lunch in Tupperware. Yep. Same deal. Because yeah. I feel like some of these shops just have, have tools and they all go missing all the time. Yeah, we're super lucky with that. Like, we don't have anything go missing. Like, the only reason, the I didn't lock my box for 13 years. I kept my toolboxes unlocked. And we have a service writer who likes to come in and work on his own stuff on the weekend. And he doesn't put my stuff back. And that's literally the only reason I've had to lock, lock my box. For 13 you need years, to watch the, I have to lock it. You need to watch the video on how to hook up an old Ford ignition coil I to your toolbox. So when he comes over and touches it, he gets that 20,000 volt zap. Yeah, I just lock it now. It's great. Like nobody's... Oh, no, I think anything. I think zapping him with 20,000 volts... He's probably got power locks. It's just got a remote and just... Me? Yeah, walk away. Oh, my Kick. gosh. I have old... It's got a proximity key. He gets so close. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'd really That'd like that. You think they is have, that a real thing? I, I know they have. If it is, and it should. Be. I know that they have. Snap-ons uh, like, oh my gosh, we're stealing that from fans of those podcasts. I know that they have <laughs> toolboxes, click button, click button toolbox. Uh, I don't know if they have proximity or not. 
I mean, if they have the click button, they can add practice. You know, have where my wife works, they have like tool inventory control. So they have like cameras on the lip of the toolbox. And like you have to swipe, you can swipe your card. And when you open the toolbox drawer, it sees all the tools that are there. And when you take a tool, it knows what tool is missing and it knows who took that tool. Oh, that's like the checkout thing at the 7-Eleven. I want that on my toolbox, only I want it to be for credit cards. And then they have to swipe their card before they can open it and use a tool. $5 a tool. I wouldn't even have to go to work. I know. Yeah, right. just stay home. <laughs> you live off my freaking channel lock tool royalties. <laughs> Except all the guys would get smart. They wouldn't like put the tool back. So you'd have to charge like a per day fee. Yeah. Tools not put back. Kind of another side. I thought that was pretty cool though, where you can swipe a card and it like knows what tool's been taken. Yeah. That's have you tech. seen the 7-Eleven self-checkouts they have? We don't. I live in the sticks. We don't have those here. All right. Well, 7-Eleven. like... It's a place Amazon that sells or Whole Food stores. It's a place that sells really odd hot dogs, but they're delicious. I've been to one. We just don't have one here. I haven't been to one in a couple of years. I saw one on TV. So they have a checkout station now that's got a camera above it, and it's got this marked area, and you put your items in there, and it tells you your total, but it knows the difference between like a large, extra large, small, medium drink, and I'm like, it's just a 2D image is all I can see because the camera's well, straight. Well, it's probably got a scale. If it, but just, just put everything mind. on it at one time. Oh, yeah. That's- so you could get a hot dog with chili, cheese, and beans and load that sucker up, and it doesn't care. Like, it's like, oh, that's a that's a quarter-pound hot dog. How the hell did you know it was a quarter-pound hot dog? Like, I don't understand. So, I don't know, man. I thought there was some Whole Foods stores where you create an account, link your card, and then when you walk into the store, it recognizes you. I don't know if it greets you or anything like that, but it knows you're there. You fill up the cart. There's no checkout lines. You walk out. I saw that on the and news. It hits oh, you. Yeah, I just about. It goes off your phone. I wonder if so when you work. walk in, could it be. can read could your phone. phone. I mean, it must yeah, work a little. Your phone bit. has There's uh, no way they'd let you do it. NFC. The coolest thing I've ever seen is actually at the Atlanta airport in the Delta terminal. So you walk through this little thing, and then you go over and you type in your name, your flight information. You can look at this board. And only you can see what it shows you on the board because it has all these cameras around and the cameras are all staring at your face and they can tell where your eyes are. And the board switches so fast because when you blink, somebody else isn't blinking. And so you can only see your information. So my wife and I mm-hmm. like typed in wrong flight information and I literally had no idea what flight she typed in. She had no idea what flight I typed in. And we stood right next to each other and we're trying to look at the same time, see if we could see the wrong flight. You can't. It's unbelievable. Really? Yeah, when you see it, you're just like, mm, no. I mean, there's a little bit of a glitch where you can tell, like, the screen switching, but you, I could not read her flight. I was like, this is unbelievable. And then there's some lady, oh, you want to know how it works? Yes, because this is freaky. We should all bomb down to Atlanta and do an episode with Mike on Flat Rate Master and check this thing out. I'm down. I can get the Atlanta cheap on Delta. We don't have to tell them, like, why we were really there. Right? We just need to go to the... We want to see this board. <laughs> Skundrich is talking the about. The board. And I can get like four people into the Delta Lounge so we can eat food if we have flights out. I'm still or thinking about the chili cheese hot dog you were talking about. I might look up a 7-Eleven. <laughs> you know, we don't <laughs> <laughs> We don't have sheets here. You know that? Sheet? No sheets? What's a sheet? Like I sleep oh, on a sheet. Dude. Sheets is like the best gas station ever. I found out about sheets when I rode to ASC with Paul last year. That would be Wawa. And you can Wawa. add bacon and tater tots to any sandwich for like 99 cents. 
It's like, do you want to add bacon for 99 cents? Who doesn't? Like, are you out of mind? Add bacon to like a gallon of gas? No, no. They make sandwiches. They have like a menu board. You like type oh, in the sandwich you want. Nice. It was outstanding. I like Bucky's. Have you been to a Bucky's? Do you guys, have, you, know, you probably don't have them. So Bucky's is this, I think it's Texas based, but they do barbecue and they have like no exaggeration, a minimum of 200 gas pumps at every one of their stores. What? It's like, yeah, it's like this field of gas pumps. But when you go into the store, it's like a Walmart and a Cracker Barrel had a baby. There's stuff that just is like everywhere and it's country stuff, but they have like Bucky's, their mascot's a beaver. And so they have like a beaver on the front of a woman's two-piece swimsuit. And you're just like, okay, there's a swimming section in the middle of Bucky's. And then you go over a little more and you can get like this pulled pork barbecue sandwich. It's freaking amazing. They've got the wall of jerk and it's a bunch of beef jerky back there. They've got like 20 or 30 different kinds of jerky. They got the wall of nuts. It's a... It's a whole bunch of different peanuts and stuff. And the store is huge. Like, it's the size of a CVS, at least the size of a good size CVS. We don't have nice things like that here. It's one of those things that, uh, so we found out about it. Like Fleet Farm. Yeah. We found out about it. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. Tractors fly. You guys have runnings? Yes. Oh, Oh. gosh. I can go there for like five hours. Yep. That's what we yep. got. Doesn't, doesn't matter if you need a welder or ice fishing. Your clothes there. Yep. Anything you, you need. Some of your food. Yeah. Snacks. Yeah. What do you need? They have it. They Anything it. you need. You could not go to any other store. They have everything you need there. How do you think they should pay shop foreman? Flat salary. Yeah. That's how I get paid. I think it makes some uh, sense. You can't say it's on a production bonus because, or a profit bonus because one little mistake and everything's out the window. Yeah. I mean, you're one bolt away from being a billionaire or a $0 guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a strict believer in hourly pay for that position. I mean, I get a base hourly. And then what? You get commission on how many parts you sell? Yeah, right. He gets reverse commission on how many scan tools he doesn't buy. (laughs) (laughs) I have yet to get a check. (laughs) (laughs) He's running out of scan tools at this point. He's got a whole box dedicated up to him. That's true. The, The ones that got left over are... A little the, painful. The commission idea is um, an interesting concept because I guess, I mean, as a shop foreman, at the end of the day, it's your job to assist everybody. And if you're doing your job, the whole shop production should go up mm-hmm. as compared yes, to yeah. nobody in that position. But I get a base salary and then profit sharing. So I get a certain percentage of profit after the shop meets its needs, you know, mm-hmm. its monthly nut. And then after that, I get a percentage of every dollar taken in on profit. So... Some months that can be really, really nice. Right. And some months you are eating ramen noodle. Some months I'm writing the shop a check. Just kidding. But yeah, I would say I, I don't think I've had a month in the last couple of years where I didn't get anything. I wonder or, how many some are much I wonder how many guys are in that position that are still like literally working flat rate. So that's a how lot, Chrysler did probably, it. Probably, right? So so I asked the If you're in that position so, of working flat rate, leave now. Yeah, that's head to the docks. That's leaving you. in fifteen minutes. Leave now. Yeah, yeah. Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. I was watching that. Even today. dealer text, though. You know, I when I was doing stuff for Pico, mm-hmm. I had gone to a. They kind of did a. I would say hosted a special get together for their top techs, mm-hmm. and so for an entire region. So this was like the Northeast, mm-hmm. and you know, I don't know, sixty techs. Which, when you think about it, that meet whatever criteria. Out of that whole region, there was six. That's not really. It's kind of sad, yeah, right? Right. But they're there, and during one of the sit-down meetings, 
between presentations, some of the heavy hitters from the manufacturer, or at least the U.S. version of that, if you will, because a lot of import vehicles will pick on like Toyota. It's not Toyota Motor Company from Japan. It's Toyota USA. So a representative from the distributor was there, if you will. Mm -hmm. So we'll just say the manufacturer, okay, goes around the room asking, how are you paid? And if there's 60 techs in there, 58 of them are flat rate. It was insane. I think they get shafted a, uh, so bad. I think that's interesting. I had a similar experience when I was at ETI and they were asking questions and they were like, well, how are you tackling the guys need to read service info versus being paid flat rate? And I'm like, who's on flat rate anymore? They were all like steer in the headlights. You know what I mean? Like, well, according to a couple of the last guests I've had a lot. Yeah. It's insane. I mean, so the way Chrysler did it, the team leads got paid like 0.2 hours for every hour one of their team members turned. Okay. So it was beneficial for them to keep up productivity, but it also, they got Give paid. me 60 guys. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think each one of them had 10 guys. So, I mean, they could get some serious hours. Oh, yeah. But the one guy said it was nice because then if like he was showing somebody or I, before I became the E-Tech or the e E-team, I had volunteered to do a Chrysler Sebring water pump that's on the timing chains that pays like 14 hours and nobody wanted to do 2. it. 2.7? Yeah, yeah, the 2.7 where it's like that needed a motor an inch from the freaking radiator. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'll do it. I know I'm really slow, but I'll do it if nobody else wants to do it. And he's like, really? You'll volunteer for that? And I'm like, dude, I work late at night because I was going to Universal Technical Institute at the time. So I was there like from one to eight. And from five to eight, nobody shows up. So I'm like, I have three hours. I can just sit here and knock this out at night. Yeah, I'll do it. So I got to the point where I had everything taken off and I take the chains off. And, you know, service information is vague. And it's like, oh, spin it till the timing marks line up. Well, I hadn't really done much engine work at this point in my life. And I was trying to spin it to get the timing marks <laughs> to line up as in the chains. <laughs> and I'm spinning it, spinning it, spinning it, spinning it, spinning it. I just went through this with another guy. I go, multiply those teeth by those teeth by those teeth. And that's how many times you got to spin it. If you so yeah. I finally got like one set lined up and I just put a note on the windshield. Can't figure out how to remove chains. It says line up marks. I don't understand. Right. And I just stuck a note on the windshield yep, yep. so that everybody would read it in the morning and somebody would know when I come in to explain it. So I come in the next, I come in that afternoon and the, the team lead was like, hey, man, you had the timing marks right. I went ahead and popped chain off, put the water pump on for you, put the chain back. And I'm like, oh, did you spin it over to make sure it works? All the marks line back up. And he looks at me and he goes, dude, it's 12,000 sometimes. You have to spin that motor over before the marks all line back up, like the lines with the chains. And I'm like, yep, yep. oh, really? He's like, yeah. He's like, you're good to go. Just put it back together. And I'm like, well, how many hours you want for that? He's like, dude, I'm getting 0.2 hours for you working on this and you're not bitching about it. Don't worry about the 40 minutes I spent taking the chains off, putting your water pump on, putting the chains back on. He goes, it was easy. And I'm like, but how'd you do it? I want to learn how to do this. Like, this isn't doing me any good because Mm -hmm. you didn't teach me, right? So if another one comes in, he's like, don't worry. And everyone's never coming in. Kid you not. I got that job done that night, right? Warmed up, put it on the drive. Next day, there's one sitting in my bay. Hey, it needs change. You just did it. You'll be really good at it. I walked over and I'm like, hey, remember you said I'd never need to know how to take them chains off. Are you going to show me this time? And that's when he showed me like the paint marker trick on the chain so you can take them off and just put them right back. And and it was a great learning experience. And it taught that guy something too. Like, hey, if somebody's willing to learn, I should do the job again or at least explain what I did Mm -hmm. so the kid knows for the next time. That's an interesting concept though, where he gets paid two tenths. Yeah, it was two tenths for every hour hour a team member told. 
turned. I mean, that's, I I guess the only thing, you know, where you can really run into trouble, I guess you got to have at least five guys to make it make sense, right? Well, you had 10. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't want to be on that pay program in a three-man shop. No. And the other thing that was interesting. Probably six cents per hour. Because we're still friends to this day, right? Like he still calls me if he's got an odd electrical thing and I go down there. And I said, what happens if there's a couple guys on vacation, like at Christmas time, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, if they're on vacation, the way vacation works, because everybody's flat rate, take the number of hours you turned in the last 52 weeks, yeah. divide it up by 52, and that's your pay for while you're on yeah. vacation. That's your vacation pay. He goes, well, I get those amount of hours automatically like they turned them that week. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So if that tech averaged 80 hours, he's like, they take the 80 times 0.2 and assign it to me. All these different pay plans I see nowadays make me feel really bad for the payroll people. Oh, yeah. Like, have you seen some of these things they got out there? They're like, oh, yeah, you get paid. Like, the sliding scale, and there's, like, dual sliding scale, depending on, like, in a deal. Some dealers have dual sliding scale for warranty versus non-warranty, and that's... I couldn't imagine being the payroll people. Oh, if you turn this to this many hours, you get this pay rate. And if you sell this to this amount of stuff, you get this. Some of these guys got three pay rates. Some of these guys have customer pay, used car pay, warranty pay. Some of these guys got three pay rates. I'm like, how does I can barely, how does I can barely keep track of my hours at the dealer with one pay rate and just the like 40 ROs I did a week. I could not imagine trying to write down. Well, that's an so interesting rate. question actually for you guys. Cause so my guy that I hired, I did salary at least for his first year. I was like, here's what you're going to make. You're going to struggle with this at the beginning. I just want you to know that you're going to make the same amount every week and not have to sweat it. And then after the first year, we'll talk about like some sort of incentive. And I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but how important is some sort of incentive compensation, whether it be the tech or the foreman? I mean, is it critical? Is it not? What do you guys think? It's an individualized question because to me, I wasn't motivated by money. You know what motivated me? Hey, my birthday is coming up on Tuesday. I want Tuesday off. Okay. If that's what you want, that keeps you happy. That's your motivation. Like I need your car done by Monday night. That's a really good point. Okay. It's literally individual. Like I hired my brother and I'm not going to lie. I underpaid the crap out of him when he started, but he had a crappy job. I was throwing way too much money into something to get him to start. Right. Like I flew him to Texas for two weeks and he went to training and I had to buy all the equipment. Like I dropped a hundred grand, I bet in a month. And I'm like, dude, I just can't afford to pay you a lot right now. But I promise like after a month or two, we'll make it up. So he's basically gotten pay raise of at least a dollar an hour since he started and we're on month five so he's gone up five bucks an hour plus i pay he has no gas no tolls he's got a company truck that he can drive anywhere he wants right so there's a lot of other bonuses but he enjoys that he can come in at 8 30 if there's nothing going on at four o'clock in the afternoon he knows like don't sit there for an hour go home and watch a scanner dinner video at home instead of sitting there at the uncomfortable chair at work or something but he loves that. Like to him, that's his motivation. Yeah, I think he, he could care less to make a hundred grand a year. He's like, I want a job where I can come and go kind of as I please if there's no work. So, yeah, I think different people are definitely motivated differently and incentivized programs look different for everybody, quite honestly. I know shop owners that have some guys are paid hourly, some guys are paid flat rate, some guys are paid sliding scale, some guys are paid flip three or four different pay plans in their shop because he's like, you know what, this day and age, you got to talk to a guy and pay him how he wants to be paid, you know, and there's some guys want to be paid a certain way. Some guys would rather just be paid salary and times are definitely changing with that. 
I feel like. Yeah, you never hear that in the past where one shop owner has a couple shops and he's got three different pay plans and a yeah, couple shops. That's crazy. You know, that's how it's going. I have a difficult time separating just like, I just need this one thing from you. So as a tech, I just need you to crank out as many hours a day, a week, a month as you can with minimal comebacks. And to me, that's very narrow. That to me, for the shop to profit off the cuff, the only two things I can think of that drive up profit for the shop is more tickets, higher tickets, Mm -hmm. you know, so increase the number of cars or, and, or increase the number of dollars per, right. Dollars per invoice. And so I like trying to give them a salary, especially if they're kind of proven a little bit that they have a a base salary. That's, it's decent. It's okay. You know, I don't mean like, okay, just above the poverty line. I mean, okay, middle-class, something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But then the bonus or profit sharing or whatever commission, if you will, rewards all the contributions you can make towards those two goals ethically, not lying, not making crap up, not shafting our mm-hmm. clients. Anything you can do to do that, ethically increase those two numbers. I want to be able to reward you. When those go up, that's what can take you, you know, whatever this would mean, like the stratosphere, that's what can really bump you up into the higher numbers versus other skilled trade professions. That's the way my mentality works. That's the goal. And in your case, you know what, it's going to be about the same thing, right? He's every little thing he can do to improve his efficiency of not just standing there next to the car, but getting to the shop. And I'm not talking about like speeding, Mm -hmm. but not dilly dallying around, taking the long scenic (laughs) route, you know, or over time, you're almost like a cab driver. You're going to figure out like, well, if I take, whatever elm street i'm gonna run into freddie i need to jet down to oak street and it's a little bit longer but i can drive a little faster and it takes less time and it's every little bit like that there's a little bit of a almost like a little bit of a reward in the big picture and then of course the better he gets at whatever tasks he's doing on site ados programming diag you know anything like that and then that can help you help them like just doesn't have the background. He's not going to be a Diag guy. It's just not in the works. And that's not a dig because Diag's tough. Yeah. But man, whip out ADOS calibrations, whip out programmings and everything else they can do at a high level. Yep. Okay. We're making money. I'm making money. I want you to make money. And not just like Sean can profit as the risk taker, the business owner can also afford to keep upgrading equipment, affording to maybe expand with yet another employee. And then, of course, reward them to be like, I don't know, for maybe lack of a better term, almost starting to slap some golden handcuffs. Like, I kind of like this job and the pay is such that I can't give anyone else the time of day. Like, doing pretty good. Right. And so I don't know if that's like not necessarily the answer you're looking for, I suppose. But that's what I try to think of when I'm putting together pay plans. And that's how ours ended up really just being base hourly. So you punch in, you're getting paid. And if that's all you get this month, you should be okay. And mm-hmm. it's not like, oh man, beans and rice. And then I can't account for your spending habits. Right. Mm-hmm. But according to what I know about the cost of living, I think you're okay with this. But man, those months where we're killing it, your bonus money or profit sharing money is going to be maybe a few hundred dollars. And on the the big months that whatever the stars align or just that type of work comes in or everybody's just hitting on all cylinders, that bonus check is in the thousands. Right. That would be my goal. And that's my mentality with it. And I don't know if it's right. It seems to be working at the shop right now, but we're on 
you know, what year three or four of it. Okay. Maybe in another six years, it's just going to start falling flat or people get used to it. They start to expect it. It's not viewed as a, a bonus or profit sharing or something. I think people definitely get used to stuff like that. Yeah. yeah I've definitely seen that before. People take a lot of, uh, lot of things for granted in a certain situations, you know, we've seen it with some of our guys. We had it with a guy that we had to let go where they just come to expect something that's, I have a pretty good feel for what goes on in other shops in this area. And, you know, these are going to be benefits that other technicians in the area don't have, you know, it's just to be expected and not appreciated, you know? Yeah. I know what you mean. I mean, and it really, it opens up the door for the question. It's kind of like with what Matthew said, money isn't the only motivator anymore. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's a motivator, but for a lot of guys, it's not the motivator. But if you're profitable enough, you can do other stuff like that. So now that, like you're saying, at some point you're going to make enough money where you can meet your financial needs and a little bit more to for fun stuff. Like, you mm-hmm. know, you want to have enough money to pay your bills and save for down the road. And then also if you're going to get two, three, four weeks of vacation or more, you can actually afford to go do something. Like it's great to get two weeks paid vacation, but you don't have enough money to actually go on a vacation. Right. Yeah, you take your two um, weeks, get paid and show up to work. Yeah. So I think you got to be profitable enough to be able to start getting creative and do stuff like that. Extra days off, rent, stuff like that. I forgot to say too, like, and Matt and, well, it works for Brian and I too, but for Sean and Matt is, you know, if the day is a little on the lighter side and maybe they've got a job that's goes outside of the radius a little bit further than normal and they see like a couple of shops that you don't service yet Mm -hmm. and they're kind of within that radius or just outside of that radius that they finish up the job and then they're like, you know what? I think I'm just going to pop in here quick, introduce myself, give them a couple of cards, show them, you know, maybe, I don't know if you guys have flyers or whatever you do, Mm -hmm. a website, something like that. Shake hands, say, Hey, you know what? We do these offerings. would love to get a shot at, you know, showing you what we can do or helping you out if you need it, blah, 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 whatever the pitch is. Mm -hmm. And you pick up a couple extra customers, Sure, you know, that benefits the business and then hopefully benefits you and it benefits them. And right. Right. It's a little bit of an incentive that maybe if they can think a little autonomously where you don't have to always be like, hey, you know, they're calling you up saying like, I don't really have anything left. What do you want me to do? You know, maybe head right. home. It's like, well, hey. Jog in place. Yeah. What about those, shop- <laughs> what about those three shops that's right a along joke. next that's to- That's a joke that's wore out as welcome in our shop. <laughs> what do you want me to do? Jog in place. <laughs> the- but if they're just thinking a little bit that way, maybe they kind of yeah. without any input just kind of pop in. The thing I have, my brother do, and we don't have much doing, is go to our body shops that we service quite regularly. And I got this from Eric Ziegler. He calls it kicking bumpers. So you go down there and you find the stuff that you know the estimator is going to miss. The broken connectors that nobody sees, the ADOS they overlooked, right? And just take a paint marker and write it on the windshield. They know I service them, so they know who wrote on the windshield. But then when the car comes in, they're like, oh yeah, we do need a connector. Oh yeah, we do need that ADOS done. Like, oh yeah, glad you saw it. Thanks. And it works in slow times. And bumpers, I like that. Yeah, I call it kicking bumpers. Sometimes a nice. bumper falls off and then I'm like, hey, I sold more body work all at the same time. But one of the things thinking about pay and other things I've noticed in, in a certain Facebook group is people will talk about how this tech's not as effective as it used to be. It doesn't turn the hours it used to be, right? What do I do? I think a lot of the shop foreman role has to kind of be too, you have to be empathetic. I don't know. Kind of empathy towards your tax and figure out what's going on, right? Like, hey, you were turning 200 hours for the last six months. 
Like now you're turning 60. Like, hey, what's going on in your life? Is there something you want to talk about? Like, you never know what's going on in a person's life. Chances are he just changes their cars. Yeah, like <laughs> he could burn them up. Sorry. <laughs> right. And that's perfectly fine, right? Like you could shop for me. And I'm good with that, right? Like I go through stages where I get burned out and I want to go fix a freaking car. I even tell my body shops. They call me up and they're like, Wow, you sound annoyed. And I'm like, You're calling me at three o'clock on a Friday because it's the last Friday of the month and you want this car to go. You've had it for three months. You've known this was an issue and you wait till now to call me. And the guy's like, Yep. I'm like, dude, yeah. this is getting old. Like, I'm kind of getting burned Picked out. Picked up 12 more yards. I'm not fixing cars anymore. <laughs> but if you don't have some empathy for you guys and figure out what's going on, like, it could be something real serious, right? Like, maybe his kid got diagnosed with some kind of crazy disease and it's just wearing him out or his wife's been sick, right? Or his wife's pregnant, girlfriend's pregnant, whatever, right? Like, Something in his life has changed where he's not producing as much. I actually heard a speech on this by Gary. I cannot think of it. It's the short guy who does Vaynerchuk. business. That's yes. And he talks about this and he goes, you know, I'm quick to, I'm slow to hire, quick to fire. But if you work for me, I have a lot of empathy for you. He goes, so if you were making me a half million dollars every month and all of a sudden you're only bringing in a hundred thousand dollars in sales, I'm not going to get rid of you for for a little bit. He goes, we're going to find out what's going on in your life. Did something change? Da, da, da. Like, cause we all have our personal lives and our problems outside of work, but they vastly affect our work. So I think part of the role as a shop foreman is to be a mediator between the bean counter and the tech and be like, yo man, look, guy's going through some rough shit, like back off. You're not going to make the situation any better if you get rid of him. You said because, it a lot nicer than I do. Yeah. But I think that's something that is missed in this industry. And For sure. Steve Roberts, I love the guy to death. And we talk here and there. He's not too far from me. He said the number one asset in your shop is the employees. It's not the tools. It's not the shop. It's not the equipment. It's the employees. Without the employees, you really don't need the tools and you don't need the equipment. So treat them better than you would the tools and the equipment. And he goes, we all have our lift service yearly. We all upgrade our tools. We always get the latest and greatest scan tools. Why are we not willing to put that much effort into our employees? And I was like, dang, that's pretty good. Because <laughs> he's right. Yeah. As, as, as shop yeah. owners and managers, we just look like, eh, listen, I'll just go find the next one. And I get there's somewhat of a tech shortage now, but at the same time, there's not a tech shortage for quality shops, but the quality shops have to offer something. And I think what they're offering that people are overlooking is the empathy factor. Yeah. I mean, that's, and, that's very likely. That's very likely. I mean, and... I guess I've never really thought about it like that, but you're absolutely right. We update our scan tools every year and everything else. Yeah. Like COVID was going around. I know there's a big shop out in Texas that a couple of his guys got COVID. He went and spent five, $600 in groceries and just dropped it off at their house. And yep. was like, hey, thanks for your grocery list, man. Hope you, got, you guys need anything else. Just let me know. I'll take care of it. And don't worry about your paycheck. You're still getting paid. Like, we'll just make this happen. Like, I need you to get better and come back to work. How many shops are like that during COVID? Not many. Well, and we're kind of all in a bubble too. And you guys, Matt and Sean might run into it far more than Brian and I see it, but you know, there's techs out there that they're getting burned out, not only because of whatever flat rate pay and just the BS of fixing cars and expectations and all that, but also Monday morning, show up, grab their coffee, grab the ticket, grab the keys, pull the car in. Okay. It needs this walk over to the computer and all data won't load because they didn't pay it. And now, you know, hey, all that is down. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll get on that. But you got nine cars to get done today. It, so now you're getting frustrated and there you are. You're on Google because you have nothing else or you're on Facebook asking right. somebody in a 
group like hey um all that is down could you you know help and you're going to get ridiculed and all that fire to get this service information and to inevitably somebody's going to help you out yeah inevitably somebody will help you out. but it's like <laughs> stuff like that right uh, and then yeah if you don't have you the know, shop credit card to turn the all data back on you need to pack your stuff it's getting close to lunchtime and they're like, well, yeah, but these cars got to get out. Now you're skipping lunch I, uh, or lunch isn't getting away for a half hour, hour. It's run through the drive through and you're eating while working. And, you know, I get it. Some people choose to do that. The thing I learned That's fine. about rush cars years ago, and I learned this from my experience. Every car that I ever stayed late because it had to get done didn't get picked up till after lunch the next day. Yep. There is no yep. such thing. <laughs> you cannot, there's no amount of money. There's no amount of pizza you can put in front of my face. Nothing will make me care about chili you and your rush. Uh, maybe it's chili cheese hot dog. You and your rush <laughs> car. What about you know? that cheese? Like, I'm sorry that you can't do math. I'm sorry that you put too many cars on the schedule and you can't do math. And you can't realize that it's three in the afternoon. You handed me a seven and a half hour ticket. I don't know what to tell you. Like, sorry, you know, but, Maybe get the calculator out if you're having that much trouble. But like, yeah, these techs that put that pressure on themselves and I'm one of them. If you're not a shop foreman, that's not your problem. And most of the time, it's not the shop foreman's problem. Most of the times the front end doesn't know what the trick they're doing. Yeah. But yeah. And, the, and then the second job, you got to do whatever and it needs a special tool and they don't have it and they're not going to get it. And it's like, you know, you're a mechanic, figure it out. And okay, maybe you can, but you're not paid in such a way to reward you for taking the time to design and build the apparatus that's going to allow you to not, you know, mimic yeah. the special tool or not require it. And it just keeps building up that frustration. Yeah. You just know, you can't blame these guys for just being eff it. They're done. Yeah. I'm out. You can't yeah. go drive yeah. a forklift. You really, you really can't blame them, yeah. especially with the complexity involved and especially where there's other things out there that just, it doesn't require that. That's all there is to it. There's other fields out there where they have people to manage the materials and make sure the materials are on site before you have to get going on what you're doing. And the fact that a lot of that, like you said, that frustration is put on the technician. I mean, okay, one could argue, well, they should have read the service procedure first. Well, these, most of these guys are flat rate. Did you pay them to read the service procedure before like the writer estimated the job? Like it's, I see a lot of that actually. I know a lot of guys that get very frustrated because they just, they cannot get what they need to do the job properly. And, you know, it's not the nineties anymore. Like the stuff you can't do most of the stuff all willy nilly like you used to. You know what I mean? Try putting the GDI yeah. injector seal on without the installer tool. Have you ever tried doing that? Like it's freaking, I'm, yep. I'm pretty handy. I can't get one installed and not leaking without the tool. And I'm, I'm a, it only leaks for so long, though. I'm I mean, a, once it catches on fire, yeah, it right. to seal I'm a, I'm a pretty handy dude, and I can't make it happen. I mean, I can make a lot of stuff happen, but I can't get a GDI injector seal on without the tool and not have it leak, you know, without the resizer. So, and it's happening everywhere. It's happening absolutely everywhere. I mean, it's been years since I remember texts, you know, fr local friends texts sending cars to me and then the owner or boss, their boss kind of going like, well, why do we got to send that to Matt? And it's like, well, he's got whatever tool, scan tool, whatever. And then maybe the boss would ask me, well, how did you get that? Or how much was it? Mm -hmm. And it's a few thousand dollars. And then it's X amount of dollars a year. And then, but I would say the last few years that, that, that never gets brought up. It has to go to Matt. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're the same way. We have cars that we have to deal with and these quote special tool 
that's so supposedly unattainable is like an Autel IM508, you know, it's like, okay, right. for, for $1,100, you guys wouldn't have to send another one of these to us, but it's, yeah. Don't tell them that you'll lose money. I don't, yeah, I, I got a hundred cars in the parking lot. I don't really care. I can take a couple back. You know, it's funny, it's, you funny mentioning that, like the other day somebody called me. And he's like, hey, I put a tip them in this Jeep. Can you come program it? I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, you got no communication with the airbag. He's like, yeah, I'm like, take the cover off fuse box. Yep. Push it in. See a big yellow thing? Smack it with your fist. And he's like, what? I'm like, I want you to dr- put your elbow on the box or on something and just let your hand free fall on the yellow thing. And you'll hear it click. <laughs> and then go tell me if the code cleared. He's like, hey, it fixed it. I'm like, yeah, I programmed it over the phone. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, my ESPN's awesome today. Hey, ESPN. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks, thanks for playing. The, the, the invoice is on the way. Yeah. Where do you get the bill? And, but I mean, it's like, and one of my other mobile buddies was like, dude, you're nuts. You could have went down there and fixed it and charged him. And I'm like, I had to drive there. Add another car to the list of crap I got to do today. Or you could have told him over the phone. I'm like, quick lesson in business. Guess what? Me giving away that little quick program job. He's not going to call another program guy. Because he knows I'm honest. Yeah, right. And if he knows I'm honest and I tell him, hey, that needs programming, like, because I struggle with getting people to program the Ford power steering racks because they work. They don't need nope. coding, right? The nope. asphalt put in there. And so I'm like, when I tell him, oh, no, you really need to do that, it can affect things. He's going to go, oh, Matt didn't lie about the tip on why would he lie about right. this? Yeah. Yeah. Just because it doesn't turn a light on doesn't mean it's not broke, right? Yeah. I had a guy come in today asking if we could install a used rack. He had already picked one up from the junkyard for his 2019 Chevy pickup. So nice. So I'll tell you how I've been doing that. So you take the motor because the motor is what burns out. Take the motor off the used rack and put the motor in the original rack. I told him to take his used rack back and drop the truck off and we'll diagnose it. That's how you do that. That works too. Yeah. I see a lot. He was old and he wasn't having it. And I was just like, hey, man, whatever you want to do. Just uh, whatever you want to do it my way, just let me know. So anyways, that was like at 11 this morning, three o'clock, he dropped the truck off. <laughs> just wanted it done today. Yeah, well, no, no. I told, him, I told him I'd look at it next week, but we're I'm on vacation the week after, so get it back to him. It's got to be midnight for you guys. It is. It's okay. I got one more thought and then I'm going to bed because I got up at six and I went to bed at four o'clock last night. So I'm exhausted. Because he was researching yeah, Ford Raptors. I was researching Ford Raptors, and, <laughs> and I'm trying to get my brother all set up with this pre and post thing. So he's it's got like, like a virtual setup of his house and garage, and he's putting the Raptor oh, in there. And, will it fit your garage? Uh, no, oh. you see my garage; it's full of shit. So now you got to change the garage. Yeah, well, bust it I'm, out. I'm working on that too. I'm working on that too. You're in the woodworking. You could just no, no, no. We want a three. I want a three car garage with three ten foot doors. So I could put a lift in one and then have my metalworking. Oh, just get yourself. I thought you'd build another. like a Carvana or whatever just thing. Or it's a vending up. machine. <laughs> I am. You're just like, eh, I think I'm going to. I'm trying to work on today. my exit strategy, which is going to be woodworking and metalworking and sell like art to people. I figure I could sell my end grain cutting. You're going to be at all, all the sidewalk sales. I can't wait to yeah. see you at sidewalk sale. <laughs> Dude, it'll be less stressful. I want to talk to you about a chessboard. I can do that. You want an end green? We're going to make it a cool end green chessboard. And then we'll make 3D pieces. You anyway. can't have an end green chessboard. I'll have to listen to Matthew whine about making the end green chessboard for two oh, months. Because no, that's how long it takes board. to make one of them. <laughs> it does. I forgot what my thought now. Sorry. <laughs> totally did. You fucking forgot. Matt will be sending me every picture of every little two inch by two inch. Tracy's going to be like, Matt swore a lot in this podcast. He must have been extra tired. I had to put a lot of peeps in there. Sorry, Tracy. I still love you. Oh, my gosh. You're going to give up on the thought? We were talking about power steering on a GM and 
Motor flipping. And then his exit strategy with his lift. No, no, it wasn't the exit strategy. Where were we before that? Ford Raptors. No, no. It was something you had said. And I was like, oh, that was a good thought. It'll come to me like in an hour. Totally crashed you. I'm so sorry. Yep. Where's that sound effect? Yeah. Our sound effect guy is slacking tonight, man. (laughs) He's hitting the wall. Man, I've been getting up late. I don't have to be out of bed till like 7.45 now. It's a very bizarre feeling for me. So now I don't go to bed till 1. That's what I do. If I know I don't have to wake up early, just stay up late. Because you can't get so... It's impossible. I go to bed at 2.30, 3 o'clock every night. It's impossible to get a babysitter to commit for like 6.30 in the morning, right? So for me to be to work by... for My wife has like fixed hours. Like she has to work these hours because, you know, it's like federal aviation, blah, blah, blah. So she has to work these certain hours. Me... I'm going to be like, I'll be there at night. So that's what I've been doing. So I don't really have to be up to like 745. Fantastic. Nice. I can barely stay awake past 10. Like, I don't what even know do how you get up right in the now. morning. Usually around five. That's what I was. At. Psycho. I was on five. See, my five. wife gets up at my wife's alarm goes off at six. I didn't know you had cows to milk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? Hey. Yeah. Why? Five o'clock. What? Yeah. What do you I get, That's when I do all the business paperwork. Oh, you're like me. Pre-game. Oh, see, I stay uh-huh. up late at night and do it. Like, after we hang up, I probably got two hours of paperwork to do. So uh-huh. I'll watch some movie and do some paperwork. I usually get up and go through our Google Calendar at the shop, which is kind of how we schedule with my Google Calendar. And uh, Me too. I pre-game, like, all the cars. Usually, yeah. that's what I was doing when I was getting up at 5, because I didn't really get to the shop till 7. You yeah, I put schedule. in all the notes and all the addresses, you know, for where Steve's going through the day, and then yeah. do the QuickBooks and the... Uh, all that stuff. So that's that's my morning. I leave like nasty notes in there too. Like if they have like something on there that's like super vague, a drop off with a super vague description, I'll be like, "Hey, asshole, learn how to service right." <laughs> I just I've thought about just sleeping in my clothes for the next day so that I can wake up and just kind of roll out of bed. We have a brush my teeth. We have a room above the office. And go to work. We have a room above the office at the shop, and uh, there used to be a bar next door. And back before I was married and had kids, I slept up there one time. And it wasn't, I was like, this is going to be great. I'm already going to be here. It wasn't that great. But it might not have just been the room. It might have been like other things. The bar the night before. My calendar is my iPhone calendar. But you don't use a Google calendar? No. Boom. The Google calendar is where it's at. Yeah. And you can share it. Yeah. It's easily between the two of us. That's why I like the Google one. Well, my brother's at one location basically full time now. So I don't need to share anything with him. And then I have my three or four body shops that I go to like every single day because I have something. So I'll schedule a couple cars and then I go to them shops. And sometimes if they don't call me to see if I'm coming, if I get behind on something, like I get a diag or something, I just don't show up. And then they'll call me at four o'clock. Hey, you didn't show up today. Yeah, I'll be there tomorrow. I got busy. And they're all pissed because cars didn't leave. And I'm like, oh, sorry. I got to get in some of these body shops. I have just... I've not had luck with that so far. They got these chains up here doing all the ADOS stuff. And Dude, I haven't been I have, able to wedge my way in. Who yet. you got up there? I'll take you. Mass. Smart Express. And then there's another local mobile guy who does a bunch from down in the cities. But it's Smart Express. And then there's one other one. I forget the other one, but it's some, they got five or six vans doing it. Really? There is nobody up here doing that. We should have a whole podcast on ADOS and how much it's changed the mobile world because I'm telling you, eight years ago when I started, going mobile was like the ballsiest thing you could do and you found out real quick how how shitty you were at fixing cars. 
<laughs> well, you don't. Let's do you it. You don't get any gravy, right? If you're not well, doing eight ounce, right? There, there's no gravy. Like it's all like eight years ago when I met Fanzel at Vision and he took me to a dinner that I couldn't afford and I looked at the menu and cried. Actually, it was probably seven years ago, but it was. I remember sitting down with Eric and Kirk, Eric Ziegler, Kirk Holland, and I want to say Kevin. Kevin DeVito. Yeah. And they were like, oh, you're mobile? I'm like, yeah, I started like a year ago. And I remember the year before I'd done like 64,000 in sales, right? I was thrilled because I never made that as a tech. And all they did was Diag. I enjoyed it. Like, I get it. It wasn't a lot of money. Kevin's like, you're doing 64? That's awesome. And I was like thrilled, right? And then Kirk looked at him and goes, Kevin, I think he's talking in a year. And Kevin's like, face shook. And he's like, whoa, what is wrong with you? Like, <laughs> and I was like, what are you guys talking about? And Kevin had like seven, eight guys, right? And Kirk had yep. like four or five people at the time. And Eric was like, yeah, we need to help you out. And that's kind of how I got connected with Eric and Kirk the first time. And then we met four or five months later, Kirk, Eric, and I, we all talked at Just Cars because I was teaching there. And that's when they were like, hey, let's give you some advice on mobile and how to get some business. And the body shop thing had just started booming because ADOS had just started coming out and they were big into it, but they had money to burn. And I was like, oh man, $400 for a Target? There's no way. And now I'm like, oh look, a new Toyota Target. It's a thousand bucks. Order two of them because you got to have it now. So, I mean, just how much things have changed in eight years for me is just unbelievable. And it I'm makes game. it, and it, makes it the very time easy the place. to enter. Yeah, I'm going to sell my golf cart and start doing ADOS. So my golf you should cart. do Ados out of the golf cart. That would be <laughs> just show I've off. Done one, I did one job. I did a used rack on a Ram, and I drove my golf cart down the road here to the body shop to go do it. You got like a MA600 or a Top Done Mobile behind. Just dude, just show up with your... You don't even have to fold up the wheels. You just drag it with the wheels going. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I could probably like just mount it to the little seat in the back or something, right? It flipped down the right. <laughs> Hold on. Just Why don't we back this in the shop? Bungee cord it to the top. Duct tape. And- <laughs> Duct tape. I don't know. Fanzel posted an article the other day that makes me wonder how much longer we're going to be able to get away with aftermarket tools. Isn't there? Well, it's that using aftermarket tools is one of those things you're fine as long as everybody's doing it. No, no. This is talking about the article was repair. What was it? I don't know who it was from. They're uh, t- talking about Collision repair, I forget. Yeah, I know. I think it was more specifically what did I miss uh, this? by Mercedes and Toyota, but they want us to check or test the strength of the radar or the attenuation of the radar. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's to test for really proper paint and paint thickness. If and bumper that. plastic thickness as well. Yep. Everybody's bumper plastic repairs. losing so, their marbles about paint thickness lately. Like, Oh, that's because, let me tell you, my wife's rear bumper got painted twice and the blind spots didn't work. Really? I mean, I guess it Because it's called Ruby Red and it's a three-stage metallic. And the first time it got painted was because the taillights in her 2020 Explorer cut into the top of the bumper and chipped the paint. So I complained and they painted it under warranty. Then somebody backed into her car, but it just kind of like pushed it in and they popped it out and heated it, right? So they didn't want to replace the bumper. Well, you have to paint the entire bumper clear coat. So they blended the paint in some and then painted it. Well, the other side where they didn't sand all the paint off, the blind spot wouldn't work or it would work really randomly. Like there'd be no car and it just, so paint thickness is becoming a problem. And I've had Mazdas 
where they've put an OEM bumper on and painted it because Mazda's you calibrate with the bumper on. It's very clear in SI. Check this, this, and this, then put bumper on and calibrate. And the reason is, is when you calibrate it, it's calibrating it with the thickness of the bumper, the paint, and everything else. It's getting that attenuation rate mm-hmm. back. Honda is well, the same way, right? Like Honda wants you to drop the bumper, set the angle, then put the bumper back and calibrate it so that it knows how much is going through the bumper. Does there any manufactured car that is painted by a human? Yeah. On the line? Yeah. I can name okay. a bunch of them, but we don't work okay. on them because they're expensive. Lamborghini, Ferraris, <laughs> Bentleys. I mean... Hand-built, look, yeah. first thing, hand-built cars are garbage. So They are not garbage. They are too. Have you ever seen the fit and finish of a Lamborghini? Have you ever seen a fuse block Porsche 911 that's mounted to a 2x6 in the passenger footwell? Well, listen. Hey, <laughs> it's a pile of shit. Like, we used to make little cars like that when I was a kid with screw guns and old lumber. Yeah, but when you go look at, like, a Tesla Plaid that's 190000 right? And you get down to the nitty gritty bodywork of that That's car. That's not a good example. They got the worst fit and finish in the industry of machines. They do. But the cars are praised like they're the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? Like, oh my God, it's a Tesla. Look at their stock and Elon and blah, 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 blah. Like people get a hard on and they explode. It's like an, it's a nine second car. It is yeah, right. But I mean, and you, you know what? Get out of- you can't see how far off the panel gaps are when it's going that fast either. I promise. I mean, you can't <laughs> see the car either. <laughs> <laughs> I almost made a Paul Walker reference like he didn't see the pole either. Oh, but hey. Hey, hey, oh, hey. I mean, but that's the problem, right? Like you take a Lamborghini that's a cheap end Lamborghini that's 220000 The fit finish is unbelievable on it. There's no paint flaws, right? They're all hand painted. They're sent out. They're nice. Perfect. There's, I mean, I've seen Hondas. There's a kid going down my road with a dirt bike with no headlight on. It'll be, it'll be, the, awesome. it'll be the first one of the scene of the X. The freaking moron. <laughs> freaking I love that joke. <laughs> First one. God, God I love that joke. Yeah. Ron Wyatt. He said, how long do you think we'll stay in the air? <laughs> All the way to the scene of the crash. <laughs> yes. This guy's like, he's like throttle jockey in this like YZ 250 or something down the road here, like 60 miles an hour with no, like I look out, goes by the house, but there ain't no headlight. Uh, he took his helmet off just in case he does hit something yeah, that's over. That quick. way he can see better. <laughs> All right. We better call yeah, it. We gotta yeah. call. I don't know if we solved any problems. I really appreciate you guys coming on. We don't ever solve any problems. We just have a good time. Yeah. Sometimes Sometimes like Sean doesn't invite most. me on. He's like, I, Matt talks too long. It. it keeps me up too late. <laughs> <laughs> Thank so, you, so. everyone, for listening. Thank you guys for joining me. Thank you to the Aftermarket Radio Network for making this all possible. And thank you to Napa Auto Tech Training for sponsoring this podcast. If you have any ideas for future episodes or want to be a guest, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. You can email me at mattfonslopodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.